Welcome to Encouraging Change, a podcast that explores the relationship between motivational interviewing and peer recovery support. Your hosts, Laura Saunders and Chris Kelly, will engage in a conversation that combines their professions and passions, the spirit of motivational interviewing, and the power of peer support. Laura is a Wisconsin State Project Manager for the Great Lakes ATTC, MHTTC, and PTTC, and a seasoned motivational interviewing trainer. Chris is a project manager for the Peer Recovery Center of Excellence and an expert on peer recovery support services. So thank you for joining us today and enjoy the podcast. Welcome to our first episode of Encouraging Change, Using Motivational Interviewing and Peer Support. Today, Laura Saunders and myself, Chris Kelly, will talk a little bit about what brought us into this work, why we continue to do this work, and what you can expect from future episodes. So Chris, if it's okay with you, would you be willing to start us off by telling us what drew you to this project? Sure. Thanks, Laura. Good question. (laughs) So my background in history is in peer recovery support services. At one point, I helped run a recovery community organization in Minnesota, and that really was my time where I took a deep dive into peer recovery support services. I facilitated a, a recovery coach academy and supervised peers and was a peer myself. And throughout that process, I really learned how foundational motivational interviewing is in peer recovery support. Um, We're almost always working with ambivalence. It's not just about sobriety or not sobriety. That's not the only thing (laughs) that you're working with as a peer recovery support provider. Ambivalence, Um, lots of flavors. Right, right. And so the deeper dives I took into motivational interviewing, the more I realized, wow, this is a practice I really want to get to know a lot better because it's so useful in the work I do. And most trainings would take us through a super basic foundation of MI, but rarely would we have a chance to really intentionally practice those skills and get reflection on our practice as well. Mm -hmm. And so in meeting you through our work at the ATTC was one of my first opportunities to think about how can we help develop the peer recovery support workforce in this capacity? How can we give them some quick tidbits to help them take a deeper dive and then intentionally practice MI while they're providing support? Yeah, saw this powerful thing out there and you didn't want to and you saw how it worked well for you and you wanted to share it with others. You wanted other people to, to be able to do this too. Yeah, because I love this workforce. I love this vital support. And I, mm-hmm. I thought, well, cool, if we could make a quick podcast that peers can listen to mm-hmm. on their car ride from one yeah. appointment to the other, pick up a little bit of information and put it to use. Yeah, yeah. What got you interested in doing this podcast with me? Yeah, so uh, peer specialists have been something that I've been interested in for a long time. When I first started learning about the profession, what an integral part it was of the mental health and substance use disorder field and and how powerful their work was, I started to delve into what typical curriculum included. And in particular here in Wisconsin, started to look at, well, what's included? What are people being taught? 
and the thing that I'm passionate about is motivational interviewing. I've been doing motivational interviewing for three decades. So I discovered that while there was some existence of motivational interviewing, there wasn't really enough for people to be able to do it fully. And so I've always had this interest in providing an opportunity for peers to learn more about it. I actually just want to share motivational interviewing with any audience who has to work with people who are struggling to change. This is the style of communication that not only is going to help unburden the professional, make things easier for the professional, it also makes it, the outcomes are better for people. So it's just like a win-win all around. I, you know, I just love this style of communication and I'm willing to do whatever I can to share it with, again, any practitioner who works with people who are unsure in any way about their change. Yeah. Well, and I think that's a really cool piece that I've experienced in the classroom when you're facilitating is that reassurance that I know this stuff mm -hmm. and it's about getting to practice this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Adding so, intentionality, know what you're doing and why you're doing it and being really yeah. confident about that. Yeah. Yeah. That was the switch for me with you was that intentionality and knowing why I'm doing something in the mm -hmm. moment that I'm doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not just only going with your gut, but having some, some, some stuff in your head and your gut and your heart that you know exactly what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, what has been your experience, Chris, with peers who learn about and use different evidence-based practices? Like what, what has been your experience with that? If I kind of take a national lens, what I've seen is that workforce, I feel like went from zero to 60 in a very short amount of time. We, we trained a lot of peers in this kind of foundational training, and then we jumped to implementation and integration into different settings. I don't feel like there's been enough time invested in flushing out the profession, like what comes next after that foundational training? In four or five years of facilitating a recovery coach academy, only one time did we do a deeper dive session into motivational interviewing. Part of that is financial constraints and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. I just think we've kind of skipped over the professional development of peers and how to help them better do the role that they do. Mm -hmm. Part two of that was we're also, as that implementation and integration started, I think a lot arose around kind of stigma and discrimination against that profession because there were a lot of questions as to, you know, were we qualified? How qualified were we? Could we work in clinical settings? Could we work in emergency departments? Um, and then, of course, those, so, so that's kind of the perception stigma. And then there's more concrete, tangible stigma, like when you apply for a job, if you have certain a certain legal history, you might be disbarred from doing that job. And so we've, we've really focused a lot of our workforce efforts on those really concrete things. Yeah. Um, we haven't had a chance to hit pause and really explore that as a workforce. It just took a, it took a while to just get things up and going. And now it's like, okay, now what are we really doing? And this, right. is, this is a time for that. Yeah. And most of the peer supervisors I know and work um, with wear about 10 different hats. 
they're the one who fixed the copier. They also do the strategic planning. They also manage the budget. They over, you know, they supervise 10 peers. They mm-hmm. are project managed. They do so many different roles. It's hard for them to step back and say, well, how do I develop the peers I have on staff? Yeah. What kind of training do they need? Yeah. I'm curious about your experience using motivational interviewing and in, in peers. Yeah. I mean, the the biggest thing that I think people experience almost right away when they start to learn more about motivational interviewing is a relief of the pressure that it's your job, your task to make another person change. And that the, the comfort that that provides to, to professionals, this is nobody can expect you to make another person change. You can roll on the ground and flail and beat your fists and beg and cajole and whatever you want to try to make another person change, but you just, it's, it's just not your responsibility. And quite frankly, it just doesn't work. So I think that when people learn motivational interviewing and they understand how powerful their role is, how what they do really makes a difference in whether or not the person changes but still they are not responsible for it. I just think that that just is an incredible, it's, it's a gift. It's something that I really enjoy sharing with people when I can, a gift to them that I can offer them. Like if anybody's expecting you to make people change, like tell them to just stop it because it's just not going to happen. And when you unburden yourself from that expectation, I think you can be, not only are you happier with your job and less likely to burn out, you're just going to do your job better. And so the other thing, the last thing that I think really helps people that I see almost an immediate shift in the way they do their work is an understanding of what it is, what the science tells us about what makes change more or less likely. And the facilitation of change is a really important part of that. So it's what we as practitioners are doing that makes people's change more or less likely. And when we know that, and then we learn the things, we can say, I'm doing my best. I'm doing the thing that makes it most likely that this person will change, but it's not my responsibility to make them change. Right. And just like with a lot of professions, especially in behavioral health care, we come to the field out of passion. Mm-hmm. And and then you add to that in the peer support field, we come to that because of passion and lived experience. Right. And mm-hmm. so while that drives us and it makes us really effectual in working with individuals, we can slip into that fixing zone. Yeah. And I feel like motivational interviewing is a really great way to help you as a peer not take on other people's emergencies or problems as your own. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We'll talk about that fixing your fixing. Yeah. <laughs> we'll yeah. talk about it in, in some of our upcoming calls. So, yeah. I hope people tune in for future episodes where we'll just go through the core competencies of peer support. And Laura and I will discuss the MI tools and skills that you can learn and develop in order to work within those core competencies. Yeah, I'll just add on to that. Again, thank you so much for listening today. And 
what we hope is that we provided you with information that you need to figure out whether this is going to be useful for you in the work that you do with peers and a little bit of who we are and, and what's important to us. hope we presented how much we really care about peers and how much we care about evidence-based practices and being able to share those with people in a meaningful, real way. What can you really do? This We're just going to put this out there and you can consider it as a possible additional tool to your already full tool chest. Yeah. Yeah. And join us for the next episode where we're going to talk about initiating and developing ongoing relationships. This podcast is sponsored by the Great Lakes, HETC, MHTTC, and PTTC, which are funded through cooperative agreements with SAMHSA. The opinions expressed in this recording are those of the speakers and do not represent the official position of SAMHSA or DHHS. Thank you again for joining us on the Encouraging Change podcast. If you are a new listener, please follow us on social media and don't forget to like and subscribe to the Great Lakes current YouTube channel to access many more free products and resources just like this.